1: You're listening to City Limits on three CR eight fifty five AM. How are you doing, Kevin?
0: I'm going well, Corey, and welcome back. You're a lot better than last week, obviously.
1: Yes, much less vomit. <laughs>
0: that's good. Although this program probably causes that with a few listeners too, but that's another question. Mm. Uh, but, you, uh, yeah, go. On.
1: You know how like every little sniff and 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 cough or whatever is is amplified in the in the microphones. The vomit oh. would have been. Oh. Particularly bad.
0: And you would have had, it would have made up for the tea thing anyway, wouldn't it, <laughs> <laughs> when you spilt some tea around right the place? But you didn't cause any damage that time either, mm-hmm. as it mm-hmm. turned out. But that's a great little start to the program, because I think uh, the program, as usual, will probably create such nausea anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think, you know, today being this, well, actually, it's not the third Wednesday, but we, we switched it um, because... The housing with the aged action people couldn't come in last week, but April Bragg is coming in today, and I always feel this is, of all our days in the month, this is the, the big day for masochists on this program, Corey. They all tune in madly, uh, and today we're going to talk about. We're going to open the program talking about a few, just a few issues, because there's quite a few going on.
1: Are you already um, wearing a hair shirt?
0: Uh, oh, too right, and um, and then April, um, April's coming in, and we'll discuss lots of housing issues, including. There seem to be a number of moves, Corey, uh, for the private sector to get more and more involved in providing housing for the poor, the underprivileged, the uh, unaffordable housing, all that stuff. It's just wonderful to see that the private sector is taking over where government has left off.
1: Well, that really got my goat, but... We'll start off by introducing it. You were talking about an article that was in the Fin Review, um, mm-hmm. right up front on page forty.
0: Right up front, page forty. But that's, that's the property section, you see.
1: Ah, right.
0: Ah, yes, yes. I don't
1: really read the property section. I've got enough. While you're houses. telling this,
0: I'll, I'll pour. I'll pour a cup of tea. You don't want a cup of apropos of that incident no. we talked about, no. 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 You'll get. Wonder when you'll get round to it again. We'll, we'll get to round to it. Here we go. Yeah, tea. when you start
1: liking hip hop music. <laughs>
0: You're never going to drink tea again, are you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, Grocon and Rich Lister Terry Snow Capital Estate Developments are backing a new scheme that seeks to raise $1.8 billion to fund construction of social housing over the next 20 years. So, mm. the basic idea is that real estates, those paragons of, of giving and of of mm. Wanting to house people at all costs. That's
0: all they talk about, affordable housing.
1: Yes. Mm. So what they're going to do is they're going to write into the contract that something like zero
0: point
1: zero point one percent. Yes, of yeah, 0.1% of um, any house sold uh, will go to this fund, which is basically a voluntary tax for the rich. Mm. So 0.1% to put it in. Um, context: If if a house sold for five hundred thousand dollars, the real estate would uh, give five hundred dollars. Now, one point eight billion would be if hypothetically every real estate agent wrote this into every contract for every bill- <laughs> building that they they're um, yeah. going to um, sell. Which is, um, you know, I think that's quite. Uh, Naive.
0: Some developer does say in that story that uh, it, it would take five years to build up the fund, mm. uh, which you know, keeps, it, keeps it on the never-never, really, doesn't it?
1: Well, yeah. And then, and then when they get this $1.8 billion, hypothetically, they're going to make 2,500 dwellings with it, which, if, I, uh, if my mathematics is correct... That's seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars a house. So you could almost buy a house in Sydney for that. So they're actually mm. talking about buying um, really nice houses for the homeless.
2: Mm. Or
1: at and least average houses. Or maybe they're talking about buying really crappy houses for the homeless and then taking a profit. Or building
0: new but, ones on the outskirts and putting throwing them into the outskirts of the cities. Yes. Where and houses, that creates that creates jobs for the construction industry as well, you see.
1: Yeah, where houses don't cost I think it was no. seven hundred twenty thousand. Whatever,
0: I'm mean, sure you've got it right, but that's that's uh, but that you know it's 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 really high in the sky scheme, and again, it's the private sector moving in, and what it reflects is that uh, that the public sector has moved away from public housing and investing in housing for those who are who can't afford it, for the homeless, for all these. But we talk about it all the time on this program. But mm. again, it's just a reflection that the pro- the pub private sector, the public sector's moved away. And here's the private sector whose only role is to make money. Yeah. I mean, it's never going to provide housing for, for the poor anyway. Yeah. Uh, talking about this, this fancy scheme that's never going to work.
1: I mean, it's just a, a small voluntary tax for the rich. Mm. When we could have a large involuntary tax for real estate agents. I don't know. Mm. That seems like mm. it might work a little bit better. Or they
0: even pay the taxes they should pay now. That'd help a bit.
1: Oh, that would help a bit. Mm. Also, um, so they were going to give the money, not building the houses themselves, but give the money to pre-existing um, uh, providers of houses for of social housing, and they were talking that um, for-profit companies were not excluded.
0: No, certainly no, not. Certainly not.
1: And I was having a look. Um, so the people behind this this um, amazing scheme are a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that magazine you yeah. You see homeless people. Yeah,
0: that, that's the disappointing aspect of that story. There's a couple of developers in them and then you've got Telstra and a few other big companies speaking on behalf of Big Issue, which is also a worry, isn't it?
1: So the big issue, obviously, is um, Australia's preeminent, longest-running social enterprise. And I had a look at what a social enterprise is, and that's an organisation that applies commercial strategies to maximise Maximise improvements in human and environmental well-being. So apply capitalism to the problem that capitalism is creating, basically. Mm. So Big Issue is the number one best at doing this, apparently, according to their website. Um, And I had a look at the figures and they didn't really seem that good. Um, So over the last 19 years, I've made $19 million um, for the vendors. Um, So that's million a year. But say, say, you know, they didn't make as much in the first year and they made three million last year or something. Last year they had 540 vendors. So that would be about um, five grand per vendor, which isn't a living. So basically, you know, it seems to me like, I mean, they call themselves a, a, a what is it, a hand up, not a handout. But how can it be a hand up when they're working for less than minimum wage?
0: I'll take that as rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, take that as rhetorical. <laughs>
1: and I guess this—the whole idea of the social enterprise—you know—it's this neoliberal idea that work is going to help people. But yeah. but I mean, this work is—you know—selling papers on a corner. It, you know, surely, mm. surely there are better ways to help
0: people. And there's a dignity thing involved that you you wear that outfit and you expose yourself as being homeless and and poverty stricken anyway. Mm. Um, so as an element of you know of, of beggars having to demean themselves to be beggars sort of thing. Mm. In that I think. Um which mm. you know which and people do it but you know you, you, you have to you have to accept you have to you have to demean yourself to do it in some ways, I think for a lot of people.
1: And I have talked to big issue vendors and and you know when I ask them about how much money they are actually getting, you know, often they say like thirty dollars a day or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you actually you can make more money begging. And yeah. it's easier. <laughs> so <laughs> But I don't know, I just thought it would be interesting to look at the idea of whether or not selling a paper on a street corner wearing this, you know, flurry outfit is is really helping people like in the best way possible. Because, you know, surely um, everyone has a different thing that they're good at. And, you know, when they say that work helps people, I think that more means meaningful work.
0: I think it does, although mm. when they say it they don 't mean that, of course they don 't mean meaningful work when when the neo liberals say you know getting a job on the bottom rung and even if it 's really low paid gets you into the workforce, and isn 't that wonderful mm. uh, they don 't mean meaningful work at all; they just mean getting in there so you can be exploited and they can make more money
1: yeah, basically
0: I, that, I might be a touch cynical, then people might disagree with my my terrible comments but there's, there's bloke um, ex treasury official who writes he always he has always has bodies called the Institute of Public Public Affairs or Institute of Private um, something or other He's, um, and he writes all the time, Des Moore, a mm-hmm. dreadful uh, creature, He he's constantly writing saying that um, having any job and even the really low paid and, in fact, wages are what's costing jobs. You know, if, if wages were lower, everyone would go to get work and we'd all feel dignified and all that sort of thing. Mm. Right. He also doesn't believe t- at all in climate change, by the way. Mm. Good. No, no. Good. Good bloke, Des.
1: Well, I have two more rhetorical questions. Mm-hmm. If working, I, shall,
0: I shall have two more non-answers.
1: If working for a pittance was so good for people, then why did they abolish slavery?
0: Because capitalism needed the currency to keep moving around. Slavery had reached had reached the point where it was no longer no longer profitable.
1: Excellent, thank you. You had that wasn't?
0: I had an answer. Sorry, no, that was great. That was great. I'm going to stop doing that. Sorry.
1: And how have the efforts of I got no idea? (laughs) (laughs) How have the efforts of the union movement compared to the efforts of social enterprises in Australia in helping people have meaningful work and get out of poverty?
0: Uh, okay. <laughs> That's more difficult, let me tell you. <laughs> Where well, unions are at the moment. But it does, I do find it annoying because regularly you get stories where people are sprung you know pie face and the other week it was um 7-11 etc but regularly these companies that are sprung particularly at hospitality etc with young kids for underpaying not paying etc and they're they're generally revealed by the ombudsman as as, as she i think she is called um because the people aren't in unions and you think if they were in unions that wouldn't happen or you hope if they were in unions although in some of those industries if they're in the shop assistance union it might well happen but Mm, mm. um but nonetheless it's a reflection on the fact that people aren't in unions and more and more are therefore getting ripped off and it does show that the need to be in unions um and it's just a pity that so many people aren't
1: Mm. so this whole idea of the social enterprise i think that we come up Against schemes like this all the time on city limits, you know. Every time the rich want to help the poor, mm. yeah. And I just think it's it's you know it's really good actually analyzing what these people are doing and you know how this small involuntary tax on housing is you know really going to help the. I think they project six hundred thousand people will be homeless in the next couple of years.
0: Well, you know, you can bet it's going to keep growing, and yes. and um, and. The, um, and uh, the, the fact that, yeah, as I say, uh-huh. people people need to be in unions, and uh, that's one of the great reflections. But also, I'm going to raise with April later as well, related to that matter, uh, a, a, a parallel proposal which Morrison's been supporting in, in, in his former role as social, whatever it was, social insecurity, um, and now as treasurer. He's a great believer in a thing called social bonds, where you bring the private sector in to take over social services, and they get rewarded for it for the results they get, etc. And it saves government money. This again is mm-hmm. passing the buck, and that's something that's that's with particularly with Morrison now as treasurer, I believe, would be mm. on the cards, um, where again you'll have the public sector uh, moving away from its responsibilities in social areas and handing them over to the private sector for profit. Which has happened overseas already, of course, in many places. And on that, of course, with the yeah, go on, yeah.
1: In case any of our listeners were wondering, it's over the next twenty years that the housing shortage will grow to six hundred thousand houses. Is the system totally broken?
0: Um, yep. Well, that's a simple yes. it <laughs> <laughs> not not, that's not rhetorical. All right, back to social bonds. <laughs> well, I was—I'll get back to them with April as well when she comes in. But um, it does with this new government. There are some pretty frightening things happening, and um, one of them is that um, the new—and this, this is one that I think really, re, really ought to worry us. As we all know, the the biggest law firm in the country that advises advisors, work bosses about unions and how to get unions is free hills. You know, They're infamous in, in terms of the worker situation, in terms of unions and and the when labour. When they say free,
1: are they trying to get free labour? Well, yes,
0: free hills, that's right. But they're, they're, <laughs> they're just trying to get free
1: hills off the government. Free exactly, government land exactly, given out exactly. to corporations.
0: Well, they're, they're the biggest advisor to, to bosses about industrial relations and how to smash unions. Uh-huh. And the new the new Minister for Industrial Relations, Michaela Cash, went into Parliament as a senior partner at Freehills. So you've now got a senior partner at the biggest anti-worker law firm in the country mm-hmm. running industrial relations. Um, and I don't think it was necessary to say it, but anyway, the, the Finn Review, in commenting on her being appointed, did say she is expected to take a tough line against unions. And I don't think that's going to be – that would surprise anybody. But I, I think that's a major worry. Uh, and it's um, you know clearly and and there's well let's look at the whole package. Um, Erica Betts, who just lost his job there, but in the last week before he went out, um, setting and it, it set it up for good old Mikala, of course. The Fair Work Commission, he he made he made appointments to it. Um, and he, industrial relations lawyer Tanya Tsurkovich, a former legal partner of Liberal Party identity Michael Kroger, Christopher Platt, who worked at the Australian Mines and Metals Association, were both made commissioners. Um, Platt, an empl- employee relations manager at BHP Billiton's Olympic Dam Project, and Tsurkovich have addressed the conservative HR Nickel Society, Barrister Tony Saunders was also appointed a commissioner, while Jeff Bull, another former um, employer, AMMA, the the Metal Association employee appointed, was also appointed. uh, Well, no, he wasn't, he was promoted. But anyway, um, just a couple of speeches. Circovitch, in a speech to the HR Nickel Society in 1996, when Peter Reith was bringing in his dreadful industrial relations stuff, which started the whole rot. We are building a new market individualism. There is a chance to condemn the union movement, as we currently understand it, to history. This will only be done if the employment groups reinvent themselves by refusing to give legitimate, legitimacy to the collective paradigm. Now, she is um, a commissioner on the Fair Work Commission with a, a former Free Hills partner as uh, industrial relations minister. The other bloke, Platt, also told the... Um, H.R. Nickel Society, which I think most of our listeners would know is a major anti-worker, you know, pro-boss group... Having um, having made the hard decisions to inform industri- reform industrial relations, Australia is now reaping the benefits. The AL- This is the, sorry. This is just before the 07 Kevin election, when he was attacking the prospect of Labor being elected because it was going to threaten industrial relations. He said, "Having made the hard decisions to reform industrial relations, Australia is now reaping the benefits. The A. L. P. policy position, if translated into legislation, will produce a suboptimal outcome for our industry at a time we should be capitalized on our opportunities, our opportunities being that the labour laws now mean that we can rip rip workers off no end. So the future for unions and workers, I think, is pretty dire.
1: I think also, if you look at the declining rate of profit, it's only ever going to get worse, unless workers fight back. Yeah. I mean, you know, once they take penalty rates, I mean, they just keep taking and taking and taking.
0: Yeah. Every time they get, every time they get what they last went for, they then go for the next one. Every time they get a tax reduction, I mean, there's been several reductions in mm-hmm. company tax, but they keep screaming for it. So give, if they get the one they, they will get the one they've been screaming for now. Even Labor says that it's a matter of principle they should get it. According to the Labor spokes Bowen, uh, they'll then start calling for the next reduction. Because the, the,
1: the business f- forever yeah. have to keep competing with each other and ha- forever have to keep undercutting each other.
0: Yep. It's all wonderful, isn't it? Yes. Uh, well, yeah, go
1: on. Should we go to a track scene as we've been talking for 20 minutes?
0: Oh, yeah, why not? <laughs> Let's have a track. All
1: right. This is, all right. I'm going to play an old person song to make you happy.
0: Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> this is Simon oh, and Garfunkel
1: good. with Homeward Bound.
0: Oh, very nice.
1: You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am. The time is... Nine twenty-three, and that was Simon and Guff on call with Homeward Bound. Certainly
0: was, and we just had a caller call in. and said, "Yes, we should be talking about market imperialism rather than market individualism." Fair yeah, point, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, well, on that, and I think we are obviously having a cheery little program this morning. Mm-hmm. Which you, and why do we get to housing? Well, this is just the build-up. This is the <laughs> this is the preliminary. Um, but um, uh, on the economic front, apart from that industrial front, on the economic front, you've now got Morrison. As I said earlier, he's Talking about social bonds and things, but also he's a protege of Peter Costello, so we're going to get back to that Costello type economics. And just recently, Costello wrote a piece, by the way, saying there's not enough money to be made from changing the superannuation laws for the super rich, so we should leave them alone. Um, so we can see where that's all going. Mm-hmm. And and working on that, and the, the the assistant minister who's going to be working on all that tax stuff, etc., is Kelly DeWire. She's the one whose young child got sworn in accidentally, I think, as a minister a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: one to, of the more competent ministers. They should
0: learn that the daughters didn't do much for Tony Abbott in terms of keeping him in business, so maybe the, the baby was wasted. But anyway, um, Kelly um, also worked for... Um, worked for Costello and now holds his seat, in fact. She replaced him in that seat. And while, as I said to you earlier, you shouldn't reflect, uh, let her husband reflect who she is or whatever, but her husband's also a merchant banker of some sort, so the breakfast table conversation wouldn't necessarily be reflecting the interests of the working class.
1: No, they wouldn't <laughs> be uh, discussing the anniversary of the... Uh Coo in Chile or anything. No, probably not. Well, Unless they were saying it in, in positive terms, oh, obviously. Oh, positive,
0: positive. Pull yeah. a pinch of shit, got a bad deal, yeah. But anyway, um, uh so we, t- between those two, the economic policy is going to also be incredibly conservative, aligned to the fact you've got this woman in industrial relations, and you've got these new appointments to the bench that are going to make it even worse. So I just wanted to point that out the future is going to be absolutely wonderful for uh, and this, this is this is the so-called uh, you know everyone says that this is this government's going to be better uh, whereas on the on the few areas where it might have been better uh, on Climate marriage change. equality, on water, on um, on climate change, yes, as you say, he's already sold out to the National Party in order to get it for his ambition to be achieved. So we're not going to get any of that.
1: Mm. Great, but but saying that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: having really um, is, that,
0: is that a real but or just a but but
1: <laughs> having really rich horrible people in power, I don't think is the biggest determinant of social change. I think the biggest determinant is what people are doing on the ground. So yeah. as long as we keep fighting,
0: Good on you. that keep should be what matters. That's it. Yes. That's it. Yes. Speaking of which, I went to a rally. Did you go to that rally Sunday? I didn't see nah. it. No, because I, I found a seat near a tree near the stage and I sat down. Then I, I did march up to Parliament House. Uh, but it was a, it was just big enough. But I'm just I want to comment on the fact that Monday, again, in the Herald Sun, it got about four or five paragraphs at the bottom of a page right at the back of the book. Uh, no pictures, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if, that had, if, that, if half that number of people had come out on some issue that they support, it would have been all over the front page and everywhere. And, or if it had been just a promotion by a big, one of the big stores in the city, it, mm. a fashion thing, it would have been all over yeah, the front sale. page. Yeah, sale. Sale, that's right. But anyway, um, that Are was you that. saying
1: that the mainstream media is biased towards the ruling class? Is that what you're getting
0: at? The mainstream media is the ruling class. It's part of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Good, yes. good.
0: Yes. Well, it is. I mean, they, they're they 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 are are part of capitalism to make money. They're not there to genuinely be the, the fourth estate watchdog they claim to be. Mm. Um, and in their watchdog... though well, they do. They certainly are a careful watchdog over their own interests. Mm. But that's not quite the same thing, is it? Hmm. Hmm.
1: Yes. Another thing... Um from our listener Rod and his market imperialism, not market individualism. I wouldn't say that the ruling class even act as individuals. I mean they seem to be very tight as a as a team.
0: Yeah, it's that point we made. I think we make it on air, I think last week or two we might have pointed out on air that Capital, in fact, demands. They talk about global capital, now they say, you know, capitalism has um, reached the point where maybe it was okay years ago to have good wages in Australia, but now we have to compete with the rest of the world. We have to compete on tax. That's why they have to keep coming down, except for the GST for the poor, uh, which is the good tax, they keep telling us. It's the reasonable tax, fair tax. Mm. Um, That Globally, by globalisation, they mean capital is global, and they can do what they like, including destroy environments across the world, of course. Uh, but but people are not. We're seeing it now with refugees. We see it with our own refugee policy. Mm. People are not global. People are, um, unless they need the workers, like four, five, seven visas where you can rip them off so you bring them in. But the, but people can't move freely around the world like capital can. Mm. So when they talk about globalisation and freedom, they mean the freedom of capital. And, of course, in freedom, when, when they talk about, in, you know, I sent it up on the week that was all the time, liberty, freedom and democracy, but the freedom bit of that freedom is freedom of capital. It's nothing to do with people. Mm. They mean freedom of capital and the actions they take around the world are to are to maintain the freedom of capital. Simple as that.
1: We have a get, so...
0: April Bragg's landed at the door.
1: We are just going to go to a small announcement.
0: Let's go to that small announcement. Oh, no. Freeze, fellas, you're under arrest. What do I do? Um, call
1: a lawyer. Hello, Fitzroy Legal Service. Mm-hmm. Okay. well, if you are arrested, you should make a no-comment interview.
0: A no-comment interview? Yeah. Well, how do I do that?
1: You say... No no
2: comment! comment.
0: To everything?
1: Yes, except your name and address. Every other question you should answer with no comment.
0: So if he asks me what colour my shoes are, I say no comment?
1: Yes, you say... No no comment! comment. To everything?
2: Yes, say... No
0: no comment. comment! If you are
1: arrested, exercise your right to contact a lawyer and say no comment. It's for a legal service, proudly
0: supporting 3CR. Okay, April Bragg's in the studio. Uh, April, April Bragg... Bragg
1: is in the studio. <laughs> housing yeah. for
0: the Aged Action Group, once a month, of course, we have discussions around housing issues. April, um, we we said that what we talked about so far, which was pretty depressing, was just the preface, really. Now we're going to get <laughs> right into it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, we. We oh, actually, go, we'll go back to it. But Corey raised the issue. There was an article a couple of days ago in the Financial Review where um, the big issues involved with some of the big development companies, where they talk about people putting aside 0.1 um, and and addressing the whole question of affordable housing. I don't know if you heard Corey's comments on it earlier, but uh, you know, again, it's no, the private to... sector moving into where uh, apparently. Um, governments have no role.
2: Yeah, and it needs closer examination because all the um, schemes so far, whether it be tax incentive schemes um through the um, national rental affordability scheme, which we'll talk about um a bit later in a particular incidence um, that we're some tenants that we're working with, but um or um investment funds, because in the end, at at the end of it, there's always still profit that needs to be made. Even the not-for-profit sector needs to to make profit. And what that actually means on the ground for for people is the people that it prohibits being able to access that housing. Mm. Um, And really, again, that's the the group of people that... um, you know, on benefits or um, you know, really casualised work or you know, very little or no income at all. So um, you know, people that have been long-term homeless and you know may not be on benefits for whatever reason um, means that um, they certainly miss out on those schemes because the rent is just too high. And that's been and and there really needs to to be a review. Um, particularly about all those not-for-profit, all-for-profit housing arrangements mm. about mm. the people it excludes.
1: Um, have you had much um, experience working with social enterprises?
2: Um, um, well, the social housing sector we have, so if you... Um, Put them in that category, I guess, mm. um, because that, that, as we've said time and time again, government's actually not building housing anymore. So um, any grants or you know needing to turn over profit, it is that um, social housing sector that where the majority of housing is coming from. But social social enterprise, in, um, I, I suppose you mean people actually, they um, have,
1: they apply market principles to um, problems such as. Homelessness or whatever.
2: On, only the social housing providers, and we've...
1: and have they been that effective?
2: Um, well, look, that, again, just as I was saying before, it excludes a great number of people, um, and because it does actually have to turn over profit, it really is geared to people that have that higher income. So, people on New Start will will never get considered um, for for a property. Um, people on Carers benefits or people that um, aren't on a income of around, I I suppose, that 700, 800 net um, level of of income every week. Mm. So there's a whole range of people that um, are are getting overlooked. Um, They will consider people that are on age pension and disability because they are higher, but depending where they get the funding from, if that's a criteria that they have to look. So when we're looking for social housing properties for our clients, and even though there might be we'd never we'd never consider people on new start or carers or special benefits because mm. they never get a look in but if we've got someone on an age pension or a disability it may mean that um that they don't get um considered either because people on on low, low to medium incomes will be considered and that's because mm. they can charge the higher rent and particularly because they, they can charge rents up to eighty percent of the um of the market rent. So of course in some areas where they're building, um, that, that that's a lot of money.
0: An example of that's this one in Sandringham. We talked about this program some years ago now, but um, people are now moving back, or at least they've opened again, but they're they're run by a private mob now, of course. Can you go through that and give us a history of it? It's an interesting example of this.
2: Yeah, so a few years ago we supported some um, local um, residents that lived in the Sandringham area, and they lived in some independent living units um, that uh, had been built probably, I don't know, 40 years ago when the grant scheme was still going on, be longer than that but anyway um so they they were owned by the bayside council and um council considered that um of course it was on very valuable land there were starting to um, be a build up of maintenance costs because the properties were old and there'd been very little done to them over the years Um, but there were a lot of um there there was a group of long-term residents that that had also been there um you know over decades Um, and the, so the, there was a campaign against council not to sell mm. it off for profit and that campaign was successful in that um, it was sold to an aged care um, organisation called MECWA and they committed to building um, social housing units on the site and they've now done that over the last two years, just opened the building, mm. beautiful with, with government assistance, yeah, um, beautiful apartments. Um, so everybody was really happy, and then when we actually got to talking to about who could, um, who could about making applications, but also particularly advocating for the tenants that were relocated out um, to go back. And where those tenants were relocated to, there was another site the council was at that time considering selling off um, in Morris and MECWA also were able to to purchase that. So the tenants that were in Sandringham relocated to Morris, and they've been there about uh, two years, as I said before. Anyway, when we were talking to Meckwir we about them coming back, because there was always the commitment that they could return. The catch in it was <laughs> that um, because they had um, built the this, the site with National Rental Affordability Scheme funding, which is Commonwealth and um, it has it's Commonwealth money, but there's state contributions in it as well. They actually have to charge higher rents, and the rent level. Um, is between 41% and 45% of people's age pensions. Yeah. So the people that had relocated, it was a big enough shock when they actually went to Beaumaris because for years when they were living on that site, when council ran it, they were paying between 15 and 20% of their income and it was differential because the people that had gone in really early, um, 15%, and, I mean it was at a time when the um, Office of Housing was mm. charging 20%, that's how long they'd been residents there um but when they went to the beaumara site they ended up with um, rent increases between 15 and 20 up to 37 so they feel 37 percent and of course the agreed benchmark or the you know people the government recognized the affordability benchmark at 30 percent if you're mm. paying any more than 30 percent of your income for housing costs then you're in housing strife you know you seem to be in housing um housing stress um, so those tenants have actually really been struggling with that 30, 37%, but then to be told to be able to go back into their own neighbourhood, they'd be paying 41 to 45 and why there's the difference of 41 to 45. It's also this ridiculous stuff within social housing that allows those providers. If you've got a bigger unit, you can actually charge more rent for it. So there's different sizes of units in the complex and they they're, they're ranging from that. Four hundred and sixty a fortnight up to five thirty a, a fortnight. If you if you take the one on the top floor, that you know has a larger balcony, known as the penthouse, mm. <laughs> um, you're going to be paying more. So so again, that inequity inequity comes into it, which is, I mean, all all, all housing provision that's done, either through public housing or social housing, is supposed to be equitable. Um, that's what we've you know. Strive to do do so.
0: In the end, the people it's designed for, or the people who were there before, can't afford to live. Yes, there anymore. simple yes. as that.
2: And the other side to this is that we are housing clients of ours who, um, who are seeing that while well, that's not an okay, it, it, it is expensive. It may not be as expensive as what they're paying now. They've come to us for housing assistance because they're paying sometimes up to 80, 90 and over a hundred percent of their income, mm. or in really bad rooming house situation. Over 100
0: would cause a bit of a liquidity problem.
2: Well, I mean, it's people that are actually just keeping a roof over their head if their families are supporting them or they're purely living on, um, uh, you know, food. Fresh air. Well, going to, you know, to meals kitchens to have their Mm. their food, turning up public hospitals. And this doesn't Mm. work for your medication, Mm. but some people will actually front to emergency just to get medication that they 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 can't afford, and of course, hospitals charge for that, so um so we, we, uh, and it was really heartbreaking because, as I said, that was where their ties are, where um, there's um, a couple of women in particular, and and the terrible thing um, also is that they were the main, main campaigners to make sure that this land was retained for housing, mm. um, and now they're faced with that financial situation of not being able to to mm. go back. Um, we've pleaded for um, consideration for those tenants to just just some consideration to be able to get people back, that those tenants be exempted from the higher rent and pay what they are at the Beaumaris area, even though I I don't find that acceptable, but 37% to still get them back. And we did all the maths with them in that um, where they are in Beaumaris, it's just one small shopping strip. You can imagine how much it cost in the, in those in that yeah. area, <laughs> it's very expensive for for them to live. At least if they went back to to Sandringham, it's you know it's right beside the railway station. They they don't have you know those transport costs, but there is a supermarket there and um, a larger shopping shopping area. So, um, and and apart from you know the amenity that they they were used to, which is. Um, you know, one block back from the, the beach and the manager of um, MECWA that um, when I was putting this to, to him before putting it to further management, you know, was saying we, we, we are not for profit but we need to make money from this site, from this apartment block and people need to realise what amenity they do have. You, you pay a lot of money if you're living in Sandringham near the yeah. beach um, and again, the equity um, the issue, is, yeah. it's just appalling. So, so, poor
1: really
2: people quite... don't deserve convenience that's or right. beauty. Yeah, that, that's right. And they kept, and the apartments are beautiful, and and that kept being pointed out mm. to me. Yeah.
0: Is is the company a private company as such, or is it run by a church or something? Um, is no. There, or is it just in there to make profit?
2: Well, it it provides those services, and it, and it has to run it out of profit. It's it's that that whole issue about. Um, you know, any provider that's providing aged care or because, you know, government doesn't provide that anymore, aged care housing, they have to make money to be able to operate. And I mean, it's not that they're charities or, um, <laughs> I guess, as um, we know, we knew community organisations were before. Um
0: Yeah. It's bloody awful. And the other one we raised earlier was uh, Morrison, as when he was Minister of Social Services, so-called, which was probably the reverse, in fact. Uh, he came out very strongly in favour of social impact bonds, yeah. and talks about the fact they're heavily used overseas and. Um, they have been used widely. But this is a quote he made, and he's now a treasurer, so I think he'll push this very hard. Um, common Ground in South Australia launched last week, the first homelessness-specific social impact bond venture in Australia and only the fourth of its type in the world. Impact investing is a broad term used to describe investing in something for both a social and financial return. Impact bonds are a sub subset of impact investing and allow governments to outsource the risk associated with programs for tackling social disadvantage. And it goes on to say it is the largest single commitment, this was this one by in West South Australia, uh, to the local impact investing market to date, the Trust will invest in social impact bonds and other ventures such as affordable housing. So we've got a Treasurer who now believes we should contract out effectively social responsibilities of government. Yeah,
2: and and has been happening, um, um, particularly under his um, portfolio in the aged care sector. Um, there's, there's a... a really big changes going on at the moment about how people access services and it's being sold as you know um, your choice about you being able to provide you know uh, determine what what's best for you But when you actually look at um, what what's actually happening it means that people are having to pay for more and more of their aged care needs and, and at a higher price because government is withdrawing funding from those organisations like we talked about before to, to mm. MECWAS so they, they are needing to, to make more money to be able to deliver those services but there is that real expectation that even for the most basic services that, um, that individuals are, are having to pay. And and it's actually increased. So the things that you actually and and it doesn't make any sense in, in the long term in lots of ways because I mean we certainly, have people that we that we're working with that come to us because they're in um, housing crisis. And none of them, at the point of and I can really safely say this without going back through my mind that um, there 's nobody that comes to us that 's actually receiving aged care packages or services that they actually need because they can 't afford it and it 's not until we actually house them, and we know they know what percentage of income they 're going to have left after their housing costs, whether they know that they can actually um, afford. To, to pay for those um, for that care, um, and it, and it's the difference of them being able to live independently or having to be in residential care, which mm. doesn't make any sense except to say that nobody goes into residential care these days without paying paying for it. Mm. Um, it's um, it's it's really appalling. Oh. That, <laughs> I mean, obviously,
1: shall shall we go to a track on that note?
0: want to go to a track? All right.
1: right. Um, This is Right Way Home by Sarita. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am, City Limits, and the time is 9.45. You're listening to City Limits, 3CR, 8.55am. That was Mount Power with Island Home. And before that, we had Sarita with Right Way Home. And we have April Bragg with us today. Hi. (laughs) Welcome back back,
0: Corey, you want to raise the issue of the, the growing problems of housing.
1: Yeah, what do you make of um, the increasing shortage so much so that in the next 20 years, there uh, they reckon there'll be 600,000 uh, 600, houses short?
2: And I think that that's a conservative estimate really based on, on now and, and not the ever-increasing price of housing. Um, and as we said on the program so many times for our young people, um that just will never um get a get a look in and i i would think would um into home ownership and I would think would find it increasingly hard to to pay rents
0: mm. as
2: well as because as we know um incomes or wages aren't going to go up by by that percentage, so I think that um again we're we're looking at i mean we've been talking about the housing crisis now for for thirty years and how things are are, are you know just increasingly worse and people not being able to, to access and with every generation that that's happening. Um, I, I think that it will just go the, the full circle to complete crisis where um, ordinary um, working people will, will not have a roof over their head if something isn't done mm. to... Yeah. about the cost of housing.
0: And the 600,000 figure as you say understates it I would think because coming from where it comes from yeah. I, I suspect that looks at those on the edge of affordability who could afford it yeah. you know just maybe not be able to afford but it doesn't take into account the homeless and people who have no hope of affording I would think so it's going that, to be that's a, wrong. and they're going to be in an even worse Worst, position because yeah. because there's more more of the more of the approaching middle class in terms of income, etc can't afford housing, then it impacts even yes. more on those right below them.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I was actually at a conference. Um, Council of Homeless Persons um, had their biannual conference last week and um, there was a... Um, an organisation who was running a, um, a, a housing um, support project and they talked about how um, they they thought the best way to use resources was to actually support people to remain in their private rental housing. So I suppose that low to middle income group again who were really struggling, it was recognised they actually needed support so providing brokerage funds to them. And the rationale for that was that, um, that it freed up public housing in particular, even though this group of people were eligible for priority housing within the public housing sector system it freed up those who were ineligible for such brokerage programs or ineligible for public um, for social housing so for the not-for-profit sector so and and again it was just the the equity amongst the poor was was just breathtaking rather than us coming out as a sector and saying well this this isn't okay for anyone we, what we actually need is government to commit resources to to housing along with housing reform so you you do something about the investment structure that's not what what you rely on to to put shelter to give people shelter um the whole thing needs to to be looked at at, oh, at nice. both ends of, ends of the scale
1: what do you make of the tiny houses movement um oh, yeah
2: i'm I, 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 I mean, I'm really interested in it um, because I, I because I'm really into housing design. So I think of it. Some of it's really clever, but but again, it's a, a response to to a crisis, and it's a fairly poor response in terms of um, what could lead to substandard living. Mm. Yeah, that that's that's my concern. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. And, and again, who are the people that are accessing the, that, that type of model? Mm. And, and again, it's um, people that um, should be being supported, but what little resources they have, that's where they're investing. In, and, it, and again, does it end up like slum housing? Yeah, and people being exploited.
0: Mm. Uh, on that, the, the Victorian Minister for Industry, Energy and Resources, Lily D'Ambrosio. Uh, recently, was guest speaker at, at the uh, Prefab Conference, Prefab Australian Conference at Melbourne Uni, uh, and there's an uh, industry developing, mm. and there's more Prefab stuff coming out. And I raised that because this reminded me that years and years ago, as we've mentioned many times, the state government, the Housing Commission at the time, had its own yeah. construction authority mm. that did yeah, all that. That's right. Uh, that trained apprentices, that mm. trained tradespeople, and if you went back to that. One, you could save money on construction Absolutely. anyway. You could build heaps. Like all they do is build public housing, yeah. and you're, you're training people. With, well, industry's screaming out. I mean, the reason industry's screaming out for lack of tradespeople is that they don't employ apprentices anymore. Yes, or enough yeah. of them,
2: and it can be um, a long-term building program. Yeah. And the spin-off with the allied industries as we mentioned many times before in the um, materials and, yeah. and, and and all of that. It, it is, if you looked at long-term housing as an economic and housing strategy, it um, would really work.
0: Mm. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's 59 but Joe's not going to burst in because um, he's on holidays but we oh, well, he's, he's we, on we next have anyway. To, we do have to finish. But he's going to have to finish because his he's, he's show is he's, he's pre-recorded and he's yes. going to come on. And know.
1: it has to go on at exactly 10am. Oh well. <laughs> yes so You've been listening to City Limits? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to beat Oops. us. Here we go.
0: Well, next week, we're going to look at, um, we hope to, by the way, take like another 10 seconds, but uh, Corey, but we do hope to look at uh, how cities are going to have to address the climate change problem in the growing in the future.
1: Yes, yes. Mitigation, because we didn't prevent the problem. Mm. Good work, everyone. Shall we say goodbye? Goodbye. Say goodbye. Bye. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks, this it. is City Limits, 3CR 855 a.m., and next, as World this week. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au.